This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. As we welcome in uh, our 1320 Kings insider of the insiders, uh, our man James Ham And James, we're just talking about as the Kings get ready to play the Warriors uh, tomorrow. It's not really been talked about for a variety of different reasons, but that's going to be the second night of a back-to-back for the Golden State Warriors as they host Atlanta tonight in their first game since uh, MLK Day. Yeah, I don't think we know what the the Warriors are going to like, right? They've been through uh, some trauma as a group over the last week, week and a half, whatever it is at this point. Uh, Tough going, you know, this is, it's part of life. Uh, You don't usually expect it to be a huge part of sports, but you can't ignore like how impactful this is. You are really a family when you uh, when you join up with a basketball team, and these guys spend so much time together. It's crazy, and to have something like this happen, and not just happen like randomly, but like happen at a team dinner or whatever it was, yeah. like this full display. So, uh, like huge loss for them, a huge loss for the you know international basketball community. Um, you know, very very well liked, well respected uh, coach, and and you know, but. Got to get back to the game to some point, which is unfortunate for these. But yeah, it's got to be about the basketball at some point. And you know, it's got to be about the basketball at some point. I guess that's that's the way to transition to to the game tomorrow night, where it's 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 the Kings and the Warriors and Hammer. I I you talk about you don't really know what to expect from the Golden State Warriors for a variety of reasons. We mentioned MLK Day. It, I it dawned on me this morning that was Draymond's return game. And that was the story and how quickly that story isn't a story anymore, what they've been through since then. From our perspective, from the Kings' perspective, it's they they can't focus on all that. Of course, Mike, is he's going to go through his own emotions uh, tomorrow night, seeing that coaching staff and, 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 and going through all of that uh, himself. But from a, from a team's per- perspective, I have no idea what to expect from the Sacramento Kings tomorrow. It seems, you yeah. know, De'Aaron Harrison Barnes, they said all the right things today, but I have no idea what we'll see. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I haven't seen all the clips. I did see De'Aaron talk. Um, of course, that was, you know, they had they held practice at noon today. I can't make it down for, for noon practices getting yeah. out of the show. Um, but I did see Sean's video of, um, of De'Aaron. Uh, he looked like normal, everyday De'Aaron. Mm-hmm. Like, that just looked like De'Aaron Fox... Uh, who knows he's go to, got to go talk to the media because something big is happening. Uh, like he was invited to team USA and to me, uh, good for him for, for doing the, the media. I did not see that Harrison talked, um, but good. It for was, Harrison it was too. Harrison Barnes. Like it's, it's exactly what you would expect. It was, it was, it was Harrison Barnes. Yeah. And you know, Harrison talked once while they were on the road, uh, which I thought was his way of kind of like pushing out the inevitable that you would have to talk to the the local media uh, but, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of coverage there for that conversation. And I had no uh, idea it, it even good. happened. Yeah. It, it's good for him to actually like sit down and actually have one of these conversations because like, look at not to be, you know, like dramatic, but just like it was at the end of last year, we could have already seen the last game of Harrison Barnes in the Sacramento King, Kings uniform, uh, at least in person yeah. at home, you yeah. know, that may have been the last game that we see from him. And maybe it's not, you know, that that's, you know, either way, like it is what it is, but, uh, but it's, it's very possible. The trade deadline is February 8th. The Kings play on February 7th at home, but 
their last road game is February 5th. They'll be on the, on the road this whole time. And a lot can happen between now and then. Speaking of trades, did you get a chance to read what Bobby Marks wrote? Bobby Marks wrote like uh, trade scenarios for every team in each conference. And he had an interesting note. He proposed the Jeremy Grant trade, which we've we've talked about before. Um, but he did have a what I, what I thought was a really important note about Kevin Herter that I hadn't thought about is we're all under the assumption that and and perhaps hope and assumption that Malik Monk will be back next year and the Kings will do everything to keep him. But we know the restraints that Sacramento was facing in terms of the type of contract they can offer him versus what exactly he might get on the open market. We have no idea. And Bobby was like, you can't lose Kevin Herter with the idea that you might lose Malik Monk this offseason. No, I get that. Uh, I would kick back a little bit because if you lose either one of those guys, you're, you're hitting not a huge reboot, but you're at least hitting some sort of reboot in your backcourt. And uh, so, you know, like the Kings have been bringing along some young players with the hopes that they could step in and play at some point, whether that's Colby Jones or it's Kim. That's an official ham freeze right there. That is an official ham freeze. 307.58. If anybody had it, 307, an official Kennyless ham freeze. And the rules are are the same, even with uh even with Kenny taking a breather, is we've got to keep we've got to keep James on the script. There he is. He un he, he unthawed without it's, resetting. It's the best when he's frozen and then he unfreezes and it's just him shaking his head. See how oh yeah, because everyone thinks it's funny except for James. James is except the only James. one who doesn't find it funny. Um, yeah, I just don't want to, you know. Oh, it's funny. It, it it happens. Like we're we're used to it. You um yeah. and, and and I just mean uh, not just with you, just like because of what we do, it happens a lot. Still doesn't beat what happened to Joe Davidson that one day when he was on the phone. But you were yeah. talking about the Kings bringing uh, young guards uh, along. Yeah, I mean, this is why you you started to build up guys like Keon Ellison, and why you've started to build a guy like uh, Colby Jones, like these things happen. You have to have replacements like on the horizon. And I don't know that either one of those guys can step in and be a Kevin Herter or can be a Malik Monk. Um, but between the two of them, they might be able to take out one of those positions if you had to. And that's just kind of the world you have to live in. If you're going to have high money players at other positions, you eventually run into this, this salary cap wall that you have to get through. And you always have to have a pipeline ready and this is something like it's one of the things I really like about Monty McNair's like past job, right? The Houston Rockets for a long time did it as well as anyone when it came to not only star chasing and going out and trying to get the biggest name possible, but on the other side of developing very specific types of role players and, and using their G League to do it. So like the Vipers, they they were building nothing but like the Daniel houses of the world, right? And you can create those players at the G League level. You can take a player like Keon Ellis, put him in the right situation, foster you know an environment where he can be who he was in college and he can be that type of player at the pro level as long as you keep him like pretty much in a refined box and say, look, we don't want you to, you can get better overall as a player. We want you to keep working to get better, right? But the real th work that we want you to do is to get better at what you do well, right? So we're not going to sit here and we might throw you in the point guard position just to get you acclimated in case you have to play that position here and there. But the real idea behind that is just to kind of open your eyes up to what the basketball court looks like from a different point of view, from having the ball in your hands and seeing how everything works. The real key is to create like, three and D players. And I think you can do that. And you can do that at almost every position at the G league level, if that's your intent. Right. So that's why I, I take jabs on occasion with this idea that going out and winning a G league title means something like not to be disrespectful to the players on the court, but it, it really doesn't mm. like if you're running a bunch of 28, 29, 30, 32, 34 year olds 
out on your G League squad just going for it, that's that's not great. Like the only way that that works for me is if you've brought those pieces in to help support the one or two players that you feel like can be real players for the main team down the road. So put them in a basically a pro style offense, if you will, and allow them to succeed in in that pro style offense, right? And get them acclimated to what it would feel like to be a Sacramento King, not so concerned with, you know, going out there and scoring 25 a night and doing all that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think um, like that's one of the good things. And whether, you know, it works out for either one of those players or some other player or uh, it, it doesn't matter as long as you're trying to build a pipeline like that where you can bring in players that can actually have an impact at the major at the at the NBA level who are mm-hmm. under team control, who are very affordable. So then that way you can have, you know, a De'Aaron Fox, a Demonis Sabonis, you can pay the the rookie extension for um, for Keegan Murray. You can bring in a Jeremy Grant or a Kyle Kuzma. You can afford to keep um, a player like Malik Monk around. But you know, again, Malik is going to be full, fully up to him. The Kings, I believe, would would go to the the maximum that they can go. It just it's going to depend on what he gets on the open market. And and I get what Bobby's saying, but I don't know. Like again, shooting guards are easier to replace than some of the other positions on the floor, and you can try different things at that position if you needed to. I disagree a little bit, but I want to stay with the G League thing for one more second. Do you think they'd be? And this is just us talking. Would they be better suited to like not have like a championship and a playoffs? And I mean, I get why you keep records, but. Would you be better suited just getting rid of all of that stuff so there's no incentive to try to go win one and you actually focus on the development of these guys? Well, I don't know, but what's the incentive anyways? You know, it's not like you're going to hang a banner at Golden 1 Center if you win a, a G League But it could mean, well, see, this, this is the tough part because it might mean something to those guys on the roster, right? There could no, be I, guys who yep. feel like, I'm a G League guy. Like I, I, you know what I mean? Like they, they recognize it. This is probably the peak of my professional basketball career. If I have something to show for it, G League title. I, 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 there's a championship. Why not go win it? No, I mean I don't think you want to take away that sort of carrot, but I don't think that that should be your your franchise's goal. Like winning a summer league title, it's fun. It's cool, especially if summer you're... league titles are awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, but I would say that summer league titles are almost more important than G League titles because a good portion of your G League guys are, are never going to see the pros. Hmm. And even like the top end of what you have at the G League, the guys that you are spending money and time on, like, again, like Keon Ellis or, or Colby Jones, um, like those guys, I don't know that that's that you can't get like the same joy out of the summer league league experience. And a lot of times at summer league, you do have your top tier prospects there. So then that way that guy can get some confidence in what the NBA is going to look like. You know, guy, what we saw out of Keegan Murray at the California classic where he was just incredible, right? That's, that's a good thing for him to be able to expand his game. You don't see that at the G league. There isn't a, you know, top 10 pick that's going down to the G league and trying to get a whole bunch of burn and coming back up after 25 games and saying, Hey, look what I did. The G league. It's more of a, a place where guys are, are it's a proving ground for players. And, and to be honest, I, I think that a lot of it's flawed. There should be a, a way that you can call players up and send them down just like major league baseball has, you know, there, there should be a way that if the, the Kings needed, if they had a, a big trade or if they had a rash of injuries, and they needed a Stanley Johnson to come up for three games or, you know, uh, Jalen Noel, any of those guys like come up for three games, go back down, but still retain their rights. To mm-hmm. me, that would make a lot of sense. Just the way that it's structured now. I mean, there's a lot of things I would change. I would add a third round to the draft, especially if you're going to go prime time Add a third round, mm-hmm. add a couple more two way players, invest a little bit more in that product. So then that way, you do actually have a, a an ability to have players 
find success, and that success lead directly to an NBA call-up that, of course, would lead to something else for them. My only concern with that is, and, 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 I'm, and I'm, 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 I don't want to say fearful, that's a bit dramatic, that we might get to that point. And I feel like it happens now. Like, you're going to, these, these kids, and I recognize this sounds stupid in today's climate, some of these kids, like, leaving school, you know, to be a third-round pick in an NBA draft. And, and I know a lot of them are getting advised to do it, and a lot of kids have their own reasons to do it. Like, man, that ain't it. Especially with NIL money. If there's, like, any way you could, like, just go to class. Like, stay in school. Like, don't be a – don't willingly go be the, you know, 90th pick in the draft. Especially as, like, is, a freshman. No, I get, I get what you're saying there. Uh, but – there are, you know, 40, 50 players that go undrafted every single year right. that put their name in, yeah. right? My my concern is actually something totally different. My concern is that it's viewed as the WNBA, how the WNBA was viewed maybe a decade ago, where you're putting a lot of money into something and not getting a lot of money back out. Hmm. And so that way the experiment ends quicker. So that that's what I would hate to see. I, I think that if you're going to invest, it's got to be, a decade of investment of where you're really putting the time and the energy into it. And it's not such a huge like money suck that, that, you know, you're, you're having this problem, whether it's like, you know, a, a team starts to lose money uh, or, or an owner has financial issues. And then the first thing that goes is that extra thing that you've built on the side. So I think that there can be a way to build all this thing up but it's got to be a, a commitment and it's got to be built into the television contract. And it's got to be, you know, you know what I mean? It's got to yeah. have all of these assets to it. The team is, is basically given a certain dollar amount to put towards their G league product to build up. And, and what I don't want to see is just like, it's one thing to, to have a couple of veterans on your team to help you get by. It's a whole other thing to like, just build a, like a super team at the G league level with the hopes of like, what is, what's the end game? Yeah. It doesn't, you know, because most of those guys that you've built it up to, they can't get called up to the league mm-hmm. unless it's a 10 day or it's less, it's your 15th roster spot. Like what the Kings have open now uh, with Juan Descano Anderson. Okay. Th- th- that was actually my next question. Did that just quietly end and he didn't come back? I'm like, that's it. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I wish complicated I question. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. So please. it's, it's not complicated. Look, look at James, James is dearing me. He don't want to talk to me. He's just, comment. yeah, <laughs> it's not complicated. Um, as of right now, um, I've checked the NBA wire the last couple of days. Uh, there is no like transaction and I could see them actually signing him today. And because that way it's a 10 day contract, but you could get like six games out of that 10 days. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a little more advantageous than if you would have signed him to a 10 day a few days ago and burned an extra three days of while he's practicing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I just say that there's a, a slight breakdown in communication right now between people like me and people who might have that information. So James can't go one day without pissing somebody off. I swear. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> That's uh, a fact right there. Uh, I also dis. Now I, I want to be clear. You said the shooting guard position is probably more easily replaceable than um, a playmaker like 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 Malik. But I don't want to give the impression. I don't think Kevin Herter is super easily replaceable, particularly from a young player on this team. I think having Kevin Herter here, especially in Malik's absence, is major. I'd like to see them both here, but I I I I had never really thought about it the way Bobby Marks, you know, wrote about it and about Kevin you've got to have some assurance at that two guard position. I would very much like Kevin Herter at the two guard position over Kobe Jones or or whoever you want to pick and, and throw into that spot next season. No, if Malik isn't here, is, is, I get is what you're point. saying, but that wasn't my point. My, my point to clarify it's the shooting guard position is easier to fill than other positions on the floor. And like we've seen for the last 
like, I don't know, decade that the Kings have had trouble finding that other forward, mm-hmm. you know, finding a center that's impactful is, is difficult. Finding a point guard is difficult, right? That fits your system. Finding a guy who's six foot four to six foot six and loves to shoot the ball. There's a lot of those dudes around and that's what I met. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination are either Kevin Herter or Malik Monk as individuals like easily replaced. Mm -hmm. But if I had to choose a position that I could replace somebody, it might be that position because you can go. If it lands you Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. So if it, if it lands you the six foot seven guy with the seven foot three wingspan that can defend all these, these long athletic uh, forwards that keep getting by you. Like that's, that to me is a big deal. Like this team has had a real problem filling some of the, well, finding that player, you know, it's gotta be more than long and athletic. It's gotta be long athletic and can play. And that's, it's not an easy thing to fill. And so like, I think as the smaller you get at positions, except for, you know, maybe the point guard being so in such a, a crucial position on the floor, but the smaller you kind of get the, the shooting guard position to me has always been one that you should be able to fill, right? You should be able to go out there and find a shooting guard. And that, again, it's not to disrespect either one. Finding a guy like Malik Monk is way more difficult than finding a starting shooting guard, in mm-hmm. my opinion. You know, like I've, I've told you this before, like I, I've written a piece called uh, Searching for Bobby Jackson, basically playing off the idea of searching for Bobby Fisher. Uh, the chess champion. And I thought that Jeff Petrie spent the last half of his career in Sacramento searching for the next Bobby Jackson and never found it. Mm-hmm. Like the Quincy Doobies of the world, the Jimmer Fredettes of the world. I think Isaiah Thomas, but then Isaiah Thomas becomes more to you than that. And like, there was always this, this want to find this player that could do what Bobby could do. And it's just a rare, rare player that can, can handle the ball, can set up some guys that can bring that type of energy and who will accept that role. And uh, to me, you know, guys like Jamal Crawford and uh, Lou Williams are just so incredibly valuable. Uh, Even uh, Jordan Clarkson, like super, super valuable long-term to a team. And Malik Monk fits right into that mold as long as he accepts that role. You talk about bringing that type of energy. You were talking about that stretch forward, shoots a lot and can defend, or that wing player, you didn't say stretch forward, but that wing player who shoots a lot and can defend. With energy, with Malik, it feels like there can be, we saw it, I think, a bit with JaVale the other night. There can be, a, your favorite player, there can be a domino effect to energy, right? Malik does it regularly. JaVale did it with the crowd. You felt like a little boost there, even though the Kings had the game pretty well in hand at that point. Do you think that's the case with defense? Because we keep talking about a defender, a defender, a defender. Like, we're literally talking about one person. Is one person going to come in here, a potentially really good one? Could one person come in here and create a domino effect that you have this one really engaged, really, really good defender, and it boosts everybody else's defensive efforts the same way, you know, we talk about the energy of Malik Monk? Yeah, I mean, I think that that can be the case. I think we've seen it with even... Keon Ellis is here where he's brought a defensive energy that was different, but I understand what you're talking about. You're talking about bringing in one player, you know, the, the question used to be OG Ananobi because he was like sort of the, the dude out there that everyone wanted, including myself for, for this roster. Um, but, and I think he could have done a lot of work. Uh, and I think Jeremy Grant could, could be a really, really strong defender for a team like the Kings. But I think it's the impact that it has on the players around them. So if all of a sudden Keegan Murray isn't your best perimeter defender, but Jeremy Grant is, then you have Keegan Murray to use on the second best player that they have. You know, and mm-hmm. if you find a really, really good defensive guard, and that's where I kind of just throw it out there that I think you can find other types of guards that would play really well in this system and help you. If you could find a defense-only guy, right? So like a Royce O'Neal who hits a three, but realistically his only job is to play really, really stout defense at the shooting guard spot. That takes pressure off of everyone. It takes pressure off 
De'Aaron Fox because he no longer has to defend the toughest guy. It takes pressure off Demonis Sabonis because now he's not going one-on-one with a guard running downhill that beats somebody on the perimeter. It takes pressure off of both your forward positions because all of a sudden they're not rotating all the time as weak weak side shot blockers. So there is a trickle down that can happen with one great defensive player. And let's be honest, like if we look at the, the 2002 Sacramento Kings, there's only one plus defender in that starting lineup. There are some guys who are okay defensively. Peja Stoyakovich was okay. Chris Weber was okay. You know, position defender Vlade was okay. Mike Bibby was not. But Doug Christie was the one guy, and look how much that pressure that took off of everybody. That's who defended Kobe Bryant. That's who defended Allen Iverson. That's who defended anyone who could score 30 points a night on the perimeter. It was Doug. And so, yeah, one guy can have a lot of a lot of things that, that you're looking for. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, James Hammond, the insiders here with us the rest of the hour. We'll talk about something Mike Brown brought up to you guys over the weekend uh, that is really, really, really becoming glaring when you watch basketball every night. The Pelicans put up 153 points, and what the Kings did last year just doesn't seem to be special anymore. We'll talk about that with Dylan McCasey, with our man James Ham, return here on Sacramento Sports Leader ESPN 1320. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Casey's on load management uh, for the rest of the show. He's gearing up for, he's getting himself hyped up, even more hyped for the NFC Championship this weekend, which we'll talk a lot more <laughs> about uh, tomorrow and in the coming days. He will join me on KSFM, though, uh, coming up here in about 30 minutes. But uh, we're happy to hang out with our man, James Ham, who's with us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on d and KC. And, of course, Monday through Friday on The Insiders with Kyle Masson and this week uh, with Jesse Tapia. Mike spoke to you guys this weekend uh, as the Kings. It's a really weird stretch for the Kings. I started to look around because even without, you know, the uh, circumstances in which the Warriors, you know, canceled two games, their last scheduled game was like Saturday and their their first scheduled game since then is is it might it might even been Friday, is tonight. And I started looking around the league. There are quite a few teams that had like four or five day breaks, and then you got the Kings that kind of had that extended break before Atlanta. Now then then they had like a couple more days before this game against the Warriors. It's just a really weird stretch that I'm guessing isn't going to happen again in the league but it seems to be happening all over the league at this exact moment. Yeah, I think it might have something to do with the NFL playoffs, but I'm not sure. Hmm. I, I found it really strange. I don't remember another time where we had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Yeah. And the Kings practiced on Saturday and Sunday. We we had practice on both days. Um, I had show prep on Sunday, so I wasn't there. But yeah, there's been a lot of conversation. Mike has been there a lot. Uh, you know, we've And there are times where like, we get to a pregame, and Mike is talking, won't ask a question. I know people are like, ask a question. It's like, 
So we talked to a dude like yesterday and the day before, like, mm-hmm. what else do I ask him? Like, I'm not going to ask a question, ask a question and waste people time. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot. Uh, but you know, again, I, I think sometimes it's good to get these, these couple of days because once you have a seven game road trip leading up the, to the trend, like all bets are off. We have yeah. no idea back when this thing gets, when they, uh, they fly back into. Yeah. And we didn't play any of it, but as, as I was talking about there, Mike did speak again for almost 15 minutes over the week. He talked about this team and they look on offense and kind of mentioned where they're ranked offensively and you look around the league, James, they're doing what the Kings did this year is just the, this year. We saw 153 points from the Pelicans. We're seeing the pace on a night-in, night-out basis put up these outrageous numbers. The Sacramento Kings led the league in per game last season just ahead of the Golden State Warriors. And this year, if you take last year's numbers, which they're not at, if you took last year's numbers and plugged them in this year, it's good for like fourth. They'd be behind the Pacers, behind the Celtics, probably some teams that you wouldn't think about. And it's it's this weird, like, okay, the Sacramento Kings, it, it I think it plays a part into the vibe, feel of the season. The Sacramento Kings aren't playing as well offensively. They're about the same as they were last year. But everybody else is better. And that one thing that Sacramento did was really special, man, we're, we're, we're seeing on a regular Tuesday. Yeah, I think I'll add to that too. Where the Kings are defensively is right where they were last year. But their defense now isn't 24th in the league. It's like 17th. Like, whatever's happening, it feels like maybe the Kings somehow like broke through the this imaginary ceiling. And when they did it, all of a sudden, everybody else is like, all right, let's just go for it. And there is such a lack of defense going on yeah. that I haven't looked around the league either to see when we talk about sort of the disparity in, in, you know, Kings with blowout losses, right? How it's like 11 or 12 on the season with blowouts where 10 points or more, but it's a larger percentage of them are more like 15 or more like true games where it doesn't feel all that close. Right. I haven't looked at other people's, other teams to see if they're all having the same thing but i'm gonna guess that there are a lot more this year just as on the league as a whole because what we're seeing is this like offensive revolution that we're you know it's just wild i just looked at i think last year the kings were at 118.6 or offensive Mm -hmm. rating 118.6 this season is eighth it would be eighth best um and and again like that's offensive rating and and the kings are at 116.5. 116.5. So they are off considerably, you know, from from last year's numbers, which is why they're 12th in the league. But their defensive rating is 115.8. And 115.8, again, is 17th in, in the league. 115.8 last year. And uh, like last year's defensive rating was a 116. And that was good enough for 24th. So their defense is almost the same. It's it's point two better, and that's not point two is you know that can change from one night to the next. Um, the offensive rating is is a little off because it's down a full two points per game, um, but especially if the league as a whole is doing that. So I would like to see their offense go back to what it was. But let's be honest, like Keegan Murray got off to a really bad shooting start, and um, not only that, but. Uh, you know, not only did Keegan get off to a bad shooting start, but so did uh, Kevin Herter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like a lot of these guys weren't playing to their potential or weren't playing to the the player that we saw last year. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't go through every team in the league, but I looked at teams around Sacramento, maybe a maybe a week or so when the double digit loss was a big conversation and there wasn't a massive disparity between the Kings. It, the Kings from the maybe six or seven teams that we looked at, they did have more. It was maybe to the tune of like 11 to like eight, right? It wasn't like 11 to five or 11 to four. And this is with teams like Dallas. This is with teams that are kind of in the vicinity of where Sacramento is record-wise. The number that stood out, though, was the 20-point losses. 
because they had, I think, the 230-plus to the Pelicans, and at the time they had had, and I don't think it's changed since then, they had had like two or three other 20-plus point losses that had put that total at five. So you had double-digit losses at like 10 or 11, but five of those were by 20-plus. Two of those five were at 30-plus, and that was the part that was like, what are we looking at right now? It's what brought their, you know, it it for it like three games. It felt like their their point differential was zero point zero. Yeah, they just broke even everywhere. They'd blow someone out, they'd get blown out, and it ultimately just ended with a point differential of nothing. Yeah, and I think that's where the Kings have been at almost all season long, like neutral or a little bit under, uh, just because some of the losses have been so egregious and you know a lot of good wins. But I don't think that they've they haven't had like the the Draga team like 40, 45 uh, that would sort of sway that thing huge one way or another. Um, yeah, it's just an odd season. Like I don't if like we keep getting these conversations with Mike Brown. Right. And how many times can you ask him the same exact thing? Like, you know, what is going on? Why do we have these big swings? But I think it's it's really tough as a coach when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with the team. And you're trying to show them like how you can improve, but but some of these tapes are just so bad overall, and there's no way to use them as as really any t- type of of teaching tool. And then we get to this set of games here where they lose three and they win one, but all of them are reasonably close games. You can go through and teach so much. Like this is what we're talking about. This is the finer nuanced stuff that we need you to do. We can't have you drop to here. We need you to drop to here. We can't have you uh, like lead a player to the middle of the floor. You know, that's not our defense. We always push towards the sidelines. You know, if we're going to do this, then, you know, I need, if if we're going to have like push a guy way out, then I need to have somebody having like the weak side uh, shot blocking position covered. Like all of these little nuanced things where you can actually show somebody where they made a mistake at least you have some of that game footage now because before you didn't there, there was too many games where it just like, it was bad basketball one way or the other, mm-hmm. like somebody played bad basketball, whether it was your team or it was the other team. And it made the tape like not even watchable at some point. I know there is something that Mike says all the time that we're more concerned about ourselves. And we, we were studying our, you know, what we're doing wrong. And I get that, but there's also something like when you beat someone by 25, and your offense was moving perfectly the whole game, right? Like, how much are you learning from that? Is that just really bad defense? Or is that that your offense was so good? Did you hit five shots early on and broke their spirit? And then the whole game just snowballed out of control? Or was it, you know, was there a reason why you guys were able to have so much success? And at the end of the day, that's why you, you like close games. And that's why I think the Kings had so many close games last year, which made them really interesting on a nightly basis, but also it was really, really good training. It was really, you just had so much good game footage to watch and ways to improve yourself throughout the season. De'Aaron said it today. Harrison said it today. Mike has said it. Domas and Malik have said it. They've all specifically said, we've got to finish games. We've got to finish games. Why? There, it's, it's one of those things where, it appears they're all aware of the issue, but they're struggling with exactly how to fix it. And it's kind of like the you 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 said for the beginning that you used the analogy at the beginning of the game. Did they hit a couple of shots and break your spirit? Some it it feels like a couple of things go wrong at the end of a game and it breaks their spirit because they're all aware from the coaches to every star player. They're aware of what's happening. It just appears they don't quite know how to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And I'd even, I'd compare it to the 49ers, right? The 49ers throughout the whole first quarter of the season just thrashed everybody. It was like 20-point game after 20-point game, you know, vict- margin of victory. Like, it, it wasn't all that close. Then they get to this group of games where they're missing some players, and it gets a little tight. And they have a kicker who's young, misses a field goal, they lose to uh, they lose to the Browns. You get to the Minnesota game, they make one stupid mistake at halftime, and then, again, you missed a field goal, 
you had a couple of missed passes and, and things went a little bit array awry and you lost there. Then you get to this other game where you just, just got beat flat out. You got beat, you reset yourself and you came back and you went right back to beating everybody by 20 or 30 points. There comes a point with, with most teams where learning how to win is a huge thing. And I would say that for the most part, this season, the Kings really didn't have to fight to win games. They either thrashed somebody or they got thrashed. So all of a sudden you get in three games in a row that are super close. You just hadn't gone through the process of winning games. Like crushing somebody. Yeah. You got into the process of that, but we all know what, when you crush somebody, that means that, you know, Keon Ellis and Kessler Edwards and Colby Jones and, uh, name that King is on the floor. And in the last, you know, eight minutes of the game, those are good things because your starters are getting a little bit of rest, but at the same time, like your starters aren't learning anything from that, from those eight to 10 minute burst. Then you get into these games that are close that are tight and you make mistakes. Maybe it's because you hadn't been there. You hadn't been there in eight months, six months since, you know, the playoffs or, or before that. And I think this is part of, you know, the maturation of a team is typically to learn how to compete, learn how to compete all the way for 48 minutes, uh, learn how to like make it close when last four or five minutes of a game and then figure out a way to win. And then once you figure out a way to win, you got to figure out a way to win consistently. And that's how you sort of progress in a season. I just don't think the Kings had any of those steps. They just went straight to bombing teams or getting bombed each and every night. Well, Speaking of getting bombed, I didn't know how to segue that. Uh, Adam Schefter reports, Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan to accept the head coaching job with the Los Angeles Chargers. Hmm. Um, Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan finally, after years of teasing it, uh, in winning a national championship this year, uh, is headed to coach the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, that's obviously a huge get for the Chargers. It felt like he was the biggest name out there. The Chargers felt like the best job available. And we were having a conversation on this show earlier, Hammer, with Jesse about the remaining vacancies uh, left in the National Football League. There's still a handful full of coaching vacancies, and it feels like this was the big domino. And we'll see Atlanta, Washington, Carolina, uh, those other open jobs start to fill their spot now that they know uh, Harbaugh is uh, joining the Chargers. And James froze again. I kind of knew James froze froze because he oh oh there he is there he is there, James is back James is back. Um, I think these vo- vacancies around the league will be filled pretty quick now that Harbaugh has accepted this job. Yeah, I think the next big one to to go is is where does Belichick go if he's going to go somewhere. Um, yeah, and that's once a, that's known, that's an interesting one because he doesn't have to coach this year. And that's the conversation we were having earlier was it feels like, especially because of Justin Herbert, the chargers is the best job available. Well, what, like, what's like, what's the next best job? And there's speculation. It's Atlanta. Go ahead, Jesse. I'm just going to say Bill Belichick's only interviewed with one team too. It's only been the Falcons while that's everyone else has been getting underway. Okay. Hmm. I, I get, and he's interviewed. Twice, yeah, twice, right? Okay. He's just there for the free dinners. Could be, could be that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I, I think your initial question, though, was, you know, well, he doesn't have to coach this year. Like, that dude's almost 72. Like, he doesn't get to coach forever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like, how many years do you want to, if you're going to get back in the game, you kind of need to get back in the game now. And, and so that way you at least have you know, a couple of seasons with a team to, to figure out what you're doing and where you're going. I agree. You're, you're right. You're right. And I forget that Bill Belichick is 72 years old. I also just look at Buffalo and the noise around Sean McDermott. You know, he's up there with McVay and Kyle Shanahan in a group after John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin as the longest tenured coaches in the league in Buffalo you know, continuously losing to Kansas City. I'm not of the belief that Sean McDermott should be fired. I'm just aware of noise regarding Sean McDermott, and it makes me wonder what, you know, what's the vibe headed into next season. 
and if you're Harbaugh, or excuse me, if you're Belichick, and you really don't like these jobs that are available, Jesse points out he's only interviewed with Atlanta. Maybe in the end you don't like Atlanta. Maybe you're holding out at the thought perhaps Buffalo becomes available sooner rather. If it's a risk, it's certainly a risk, but coaching a bad football team with the legacy Belichick has could be a risk as well. No, I get that. Though I don't think uh, Atlanta's a bad football team for the record. If you're taking one of these other jobs, like Atlanta's not though. Yeah, yeah. And like look at you know, we're talking about a guy who who's getting up there in age. Like, what if he does what if he does coach five years in Atlanta, mm-hmm. whatever? And then you got a five year waiting period to Hall of Fame. I, I I think. I think it's the same for coaches. I don't know. Like he's a he's a really good uh I, you know, I think he's probably the best coach ever been around the nfl maybe i'm wrong um you know he's in the discussion there's no question there's no question like if a conversation about the best coach in nfl history bill belichick is in that discussion only a handful of guys are yeah i would say to the one thing that takes away from i think his legacy is that he doesn't have the tree right Mm -hmm. so there isn't a big bill belichick tree where you know again we're still right now as we sit here we're watching half of these coaches are part of the Bill Walsh coaching. They might be like really, really extended branches of the uh, the Bill Walsh coaching tree, but Andy Reid isn't. And, you know, I, I think even Kyle Shanahan isn't that far removed from the same exact tree. Like a lot of these guys are from that. And and that's something where I just don't know. That's something that should, it should be part of his legacy and part of the, the question you have about who he's been as a coach, it's just that he hasn't been able to pass it down where, you know, look around the NBA, like Greg Popovich coaching tree is, is huge. Even, um, you know, Phil Jackson has a, a pretty solid coaching tree. A lot of these guys, like they paid it forward so well. And I don't know the bell check you can say that about. Yeah. His tree's rotten. That's what his tree is. Like if he, he's, he's got branches, they're just all rotten and have fallen off or they produce poison fruit or something like that. It was terrible. Uh, Harbaugh really did have an incredible NFL record during his time with the 49ers. 44-19 and 1. That's a mm. that's that's he's he's the, the, the Jim's thing is always he's a unique guy. And if you're willing to as a as a as a grown if you're in that Chargers locker room and you're a grown ass man, you have to be willing to deal with the fact that your new head coach is a little eccentric. He's different. He's not Bill Belichick. He's not Kyle Shanahan. He's he's a great coach who's just a little bit different. He approaches no, he is. different. Yeah, and I, but he's still a really good coach. I oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I think he's going to he's going to make that a really really strong program very quickly because uh, that's typically what he does. He's able to build a program really quick. I love when we talk about college no. coaches. We use the term program instead of team. Yeah, like but he's, he's, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I would say that even like the 49ers, it felt like a program with him. Sure. You know, like he was able to get the thing up and running like very quickly. And, um, you know, however it is that he does it, you know, he, he's got a an idea and an identity to what he does that that uh, is able to be built really quickly. And so... Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Chargers, you know, again, that's the job that if I were a coach of his ilk and was wondering what should be my next job, like go get me the one with at least let's start with a frontline quarterback mm-hmm. and then I can go got from it. there. Yeah, and he, if I don't have that, then I've got to search for it and that can take you two or three years. And that's what Bill's going to have to do if he takes the Atlanta job because that's the position they don't have. There's an argument that they have a roster, but they don't have that position. Los Angeles has a roster, uh, and it has mm-hmm. that frontline quarterback that you're speaking of. And shout out to our boy Antonio Pierce, because man, he's got his work cut out for him now in the division. I don't like him, but Sean Payton is there. Uh, they had a little turnaround at the Denver Broncos during the season. You have Andy Reid for my money. When you talk about the greatest coaches of all time, you could throw him in there as part of the conversation. Um, and now you've got now you've got Jim Harbaugh. Uh, in your division. So shout out to Antonio Pierce, uh, the new head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders, buddy, because you got your work cut out for you against those guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I like we were talking about the coaching tree. 
is it crazy to say that uh that Kyle Shanahan's coaching tree is bigger than it's stronger than Bill Belichick's it's not crazy point? it's accurate it's 100 percent accurate yeah. I mean look at look, 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 you, you look at the Texans hell the Jets were a Super Bowl favorite when they had that goofball as the quarterback to start the season that's Miami. those are those are man those are those are three those are three Kyle Shanahan guys right there that's incredible uh, it doesn't even speak to like his relationship with like Matt Lafleur, like that whole crew of like Lafleur, uh, Sean McVay, and 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 um, Kyle Shanahan. Man, that 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 branch spreads throughout the NFL. Uh, those yep. are good. Those are yeah, good coaches definitely. right there. But uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh on his way to the Los Angeles Chargers. It's a big one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good little piece of business to talk about tomorrow. Uh, on the Insiders with James Ham And James, for the first time in a few days, you guys will be able to get ready for a game. And it's one that we actually haven't seen in a while after seeing it uh, four dozen times in the span of like four months. Uh, it's the Kings and the Warriors, I think, for the last time uh, tomorrow night as part of uh, Rivalry Week. Or ri- I think it's called Rivals Week uh, in the NBA. So yeah, it'll I feel be like every time we think it's the last time they play them again. Every time like you're like, isn't this the last time? Nope. Got six more against them. Seven more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the case. That's a hundred percent the case. Um, I'll be locked into the Warriors tonight though, to be honest. Um, I'll be very, very curious how they play. And I actually, this, I think this is a weird situation where it's first night of a back to back. I think the Warriors will probably play significantly better tomorrow. I think today is going to be – not that they won't play well today. I think today is going to be incredibly emotional for them. I think it's going to be really difficult for them. I just saw the arena with the shirts and all of that stuff that they have laid mm-hmm. out. Tomorrow, even though you know their hearts are going to be heavy for a long time, tomorrow is going to be far – against Sacramento is going to be far closer to a basketball game, just a regular basketball game, than tonight's going to be. Tonight's going to be really emotional for those guys, and uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, make sure you're tapped in beginning at 10 a.m. tomorrow. I'm going to head over to 1025. Casey's going to join me here in a little bit, and we've got a lot going on over there. But if you want more sports coverage, don't go anywhere. We'll run it back next on Sacramento Sports Leader, ESPN 1320. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 